Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Sienna. And you're listening to And Yet. Conversations about the intersection of culture and health. Why do we go there? Because frankly, we need to. And we want you to know, we're with you. We all have a story we need to help unpack. But where do we fucking start? And where do we even end? Here's your permission to meet us in the messy middle. The And Yet Podcast with Sienna and Kelsey. Hi, listeners, and welcome back to the And Yet podcast. Today, we have an extra special guest, and I say this not just because of our blood relations, but my sister Carly is joining us today. Yeah, Carly yeah. is, <laughs> no, I was going to say, she's just an incredible yeah. human being. She is an incredible human being, and it's not just because she shares your blood, <laughs> although I like her even more because of that, obviously. Carly is an amazing woman, and she happens to be a celebrity health and life coach. And when we say celebrity, we're like, Talking pretty big time here, <coughs> Drake. Uh, not to name drop there or anything. She's an author and speaker, and she actually left the big bad world of entertainment to live her own truth and actually help kind of everyday driven women with big aspirations, but how to create more time and freedom in their own days, do the self-care that they're really craving so that they can really prosper in their careers, which I think is pretty kick-ass. When she's not working with actual celebrities or what Carly calls everyday rock stars, she lives a beautiful life, very peaceful, plenty of room (laughs) to breathe in the mountains of New England, which I'm super jealous of. And she's built a career out of being the most rested person in the room. And she legit is like, you literally walk into the room with her princess and Senna and you're like... I can take a deep breath now. Yes. Yes, And Carly led us through a really beautiful grounding ritual before we started recording, which I think we're now going to have to share with everybody. We definitely have to share. Yeah, Yeah, it's too amazing. So you can look forward to that. (laughs) And as she says, and I just love this, so I had to repeat it. And she says, miracles happen when you're rested. And I think that's so, so true. So with that, we're actually going to talk about a topic called popular isolation. And if you haven't heard of that before, it's because it's a new concept that Carly has kind of coined herself. Yes. According to Google, nobody else is using this term. So we can't say for sure, but we believe that Carly has officially coined. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And popular isolation is a really interesting topic in that it's something that I don't think we're examining that much right now, but a lot of people are experiencing and are feeling. And I think with that, we'll let Carly further explain. Welcome, Carly. Hello. I am so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you here. How cool is it that not only did we share a womb, share a home, (laughs) and now we get to share in creative endeavors? (laughs) I love that. I love seeing it like that. Yeah. We're pretty lucky. I think you stretched out the womb for me so that I had more space. Yeah, that's what the first does. Yeah, Yeah, that's what the first does. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Sienna and I are both thrilled to have you here and really excited about this conversation. Yeah, absolutely psyched to have you here, Carly. And it's so sweet looking at these two who look pretty much exactly the same, just one's a few inches taller. It's that happy smile. So I absolutely love it. But yeah, the term popular isolation, it kind of sounds uh, a little made up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 100% made up, right? I like love every, it. Like I love every it. good thing. Yeah, a little bit of an oxymoron, I would say. I think you're right. So it came from hundreds of conversations that I've had with driven folks over the course of the last 11 years. And it's this phenomenon that I'm noticing 
with driven women, but it's not just with women. It's really with folks who identify across the board as being the go-to person for everybody. These are folks who have, maybe you've got great friends or colleagues that you like or family that you love, and yet you still feel isolated. You still feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You're the go-to person for everybody in your circle, but you don't necessarily have a place where you can drop your guard. And what I noticed in these private one-on-one -on -one conversations with really high-profile driven folks, it was actually an incredibly common trait to feel really alone. Even my clients who have an audience of 60,000 people in front of them can feel terribly isolated. I can definitely relate to that. And it's having spoken with many girlfriends about a similar thing, I know a lot of people who, who certainly have suffered from that or, and continue to suffer from that. So it's nice to kind of have a bit of a term to describe that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also this idea that we put so much pressure on being busy and we're so busy all the time and we're burnt out and exhausted and we're still lonely, right? I think that's spot on. And you know, there's some correlation there, I think, between go, go, going all the time. And especially for folks who might self-identify as, as a high achiever or a driven person or somebody who feels like they have an ambition or a goal or even just a juicy desire to have a family that you love or to have a, a career that you love. There's so much push there. There's so much drive to get things done during the day that when we do get a moment to ourselves, suddenly it hits us that we might feel alone in the world. So Kels and I do a lot of kind of freelance work in our own various ways and kind of being your own boss, so to speak, certainly brings its own pressures. But who tends to be the types of clients or the type of people that come to you with this? It's a great question. And it's, there's really kind of a gamut. And I think the visual on it, when you say entrepreneur or somebody who's doing freelance work, that's definitely a go-to spot where we see it a lot. And the visual there is the person working in a coffee shop. We're surrounded by activity and music and things going on, and yet they're kind of in their own world, and it might be up to them, you know, to run the business. But we also see it in folks in a really corporate environment, which is fascinating. You might be in a cubicle or be in an office space for a decade or longer and still feel like you can't fully be yourself. Not everybody around you knows what you're actually going through or what's going through this beautiful mind of yours throughout the day. And because there's a difference between what's happening externally in your office, in your world, in your business, and how you feel internally. It's a sense of, of being, well, inauthentic mm -hmm. comes up a lot. And we can talk a little bit more about how authenticity plays in to popular isolation. Yeah, that, uh, that's a great point. Two things actually that kind of sprung to mind. One, I can totally relate to the coffee shop anecdote in that I'm one of those people that I work way better when I'm surrounded by busyness and craziness and, and a lot of noise going on. And my husband is like, how the hell can you concentrate? And I'm like, I am so much more productive sitting in a coffee shop or in a workspace than I am, am at home by myself. And I'm not sure if that's kind of related to kind of the introvert, extrovert kind of conversation or, or not. So I guess that's my first question. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying makes me also wonder if it's a little bit more of the the empath, like you're feeding yeah, off all yeah. of that energy that's around you. And it's also, I think, why WeWork is so popular and why these communal workspaces are becoming, they're huge here in New York, at least, and I think in other big cities too. And even in small cities, I'm starting to see them pop up. So I think we're all hungry for this like energy to be around it together. 
we're really made to be in a village. Human beings are communal people. And I think the way culturally and certainly within the corporate world, the way things have developed, we are, you know, we're broken off into being specialists in something, right? Or you've started a business in something. So we become very good at something. And yet that in and of itself can be an, an isolating experience. I think, you know, to your point, Kelsey, I love, so I live in the hills of Western Massachusetts in the middle of nowhere. Like there's nothing going on there and I love it. It's really peaceful. So I love when I get to come into the city and be at a WeWork for the day or, or just, you know, being here with you guys is a real treat for me. And there's a false sense of community, right? I think we have mistaken physically being near people for being meaningfully connected to people. So that's what's happening is we're getting our socialization box checked. We're socializing, and yet we're not having conversations that go below, hey, did you finish that PowerPoint? Or did you hear about this thing you know, that I'm launching for work? We're staying at such a surface level that we're not getting deep enough to have the type of meaningful conversation that helps you feel connected to another person. And hearing you say that is making me wonder why so many people do leave corporate jobs to work for themselves. And I hear in my circles, I'm sure you hear in yours, but People are always saying, I want to work with like-minded people. I want to work with people that are have similar goals or have similar interests or advocacy work or, or whatever it is. And people are really looking to create this community because they're not finding it in their you know, everyday life necessarily. I think you're spot on, you know, and, and a percentage of people will keep that in mind and live into it when they go out onto their own. And I think that's the difference is it actually takes, takes a courageous act in a world that's really busy to dare to pause and be mindful about the decisions you're making. And so it takes paying attention to whether or not you're getting meaningful connection during your day. I'm getting connection, yes. I'm definitely around other people. Is it meaningful? Is it life-giving? Is it giving me energy? So I think that's the difference, you know, Kelsey, is, is going out and striking out on your own. And if you do mindfully create a community around you, great. But it doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't happen by accident. It's something we have to consciously live into and pay a little attention around. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like this is kind of getting worse with kind of social media and technology and that kind of thing? Or, you know, I, I feel like there's a case to say that it probably is, but what's your experience? My experience about it, especially with entrepreneurs and folks who are launching products or being out in the world, is there is a lot there's again, there's a separation between what they're showing publicly and how they're feeling privately. And that's what leads to the sense of isolation. And so we're all playing the comparison game when we scroll, Mm. you know, on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, wherever our medium of choice is. And we're inadvertently comparing our, you know, somebody else's highlight reel, isn't that the cliche, to our everyday life. And so I think that sense of, of false comparison can definitely lead to a sense of, am I good enough? What's wrong with me? Why haven't I figured this out yet? Look, they're doing it. Why can't I be doing it? And we might not realize that whatever's going on behind those photos is probably just as normal for the person posting them as our normal life feels. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually accidentally having an experiment of this in my life right now in that I got a new phone and then I was downloading the Facebook and Instagram app and I forgot my password so I can't get into my personal <laughs> accounts anymore. And so I just haven't been looking at Facebook or personal my personal Instagram and, and I feel so much better. <laughs> so in my line of work, I call that a sacred interruption. Yeah, that is where it's like, right, it's like a sacred where like we, the universe or the powers that be or our own highest wisdom, like our subconscious jumps in and takes the wheel and makes sure that we get that built-in moment to pause. Oh, I love that. 
you're taking advantage of that. Yeah. (laughs) You're taking advantage of that. I wish I could say it was self-driven, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what you were saying about how that feeling of not being good enough when you're doing the scroll. And I know you talk about self-doubt and insecurity and lack of clarity as a real symptom of popular isolation. Yeah, maybe you could walk us through that a little bit more and some of the other symptoms that you're seeing pop up. Absolutely. There are some very specific symptoms as I work with all these folks that are relatively universal. And I want to thank you again for having me here to have this conversation because I have the extreme, you know, honor and joy and pleasure of working with all these driven people one-on-one and they tell me these things and they think they're the only one who feels this way. And I hear it all day long and I'm thinking, actually, no, this is actually a really common trait. And so I'm excited to get to share with you some of the symptoms that I see again and again. The first is the tired but wired phenomenon. This is Sienna at 2 a.m. last night. (laughs) (laughs) Unable to sleep. Literally me. (laughs) Yeah. So, Sienna, you can tell us more about what it felt like, right? When I say tired but wired, what I mean is that you are exhausted. Like, by the day's end, you're spent. By 10 a.m., you might feel spent. And yet, when you get a moment to slow down, your mind is racing a thousand miles a minute. And so talk about oxymoron, right? It's like, I'm tired. Of course I want to be sleeping right now. It's 2 a.m. for Sienna last night. And yet her mind's going a million miles an hour. So it's that tired but wired phenomenon. The other one we see a lot of is these chronic perplexing health symptoms. And I see a lot of these definitely within my clients that identify as female, but I think it's universal across the board. I think the symptoms just can show up a little bit differently. So they're often, often migraines or some version of headaches. It can be reproductive health issues, autoimmune disorder flare-ups. They're the kind of conditions where you've been to the doctor, you've got a relatively clean bill of health, or they can't get to the bottom of it, but it's getting exacerbated. And the things you used to be able to do to take the edge off, like pop an aspirin or chill out for the night, it's not working anymore. It's not cutting it. And so it's really starting to mess with your game. These perplexing health symptoms are crazy making in and of themselves. Another really common symptom of popular isolation is this sense of, of brain fog, where you're going round and round with the same thoughts all day long and getting no resolution. Like you need to plan something for the weekend and you still don't know what you're gonna pack, right? Or it might be bigger than that. You're launching something in your work and you don't know what to do or you've had a difficult conversation with your significant other and you just can't get resolution. You're just going round and round in your mind. And then it leads into, or really it's a separate thing, but we watch self-doubt, insecurity, start to build as brain fog builds. So you, maybe you have really good ideas But the moment you think of them, you immediately get 10 reasons why you shouldn't be doing it. I don't know if you've ever heard the thought. I certainly have. Like, who am I to be doing this? Oh, my God. Who do I think I am? Like, who do I think I am? Even developing this podcast, I think we've had some of those conversations. Like, who's going to listen to us? Right, right. And so it's really easy for us to think, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I so insecure? All of these symptoms that I'm talking about, they're not signs that there is something wrong with you. They are signs that you're experiencing popular isolation and that it might be time for you to return home a little bit to your own wisdom. Yeah. And the last one I'll say, the last symptom that's huge for driven folks is this sense of perfectionist failure. And this is when you want everything you do to be perfect, which doesn't happen. (laughs) Like I would love that. And so 
because you can't get things done the way you want them to get done perfectly, they don't get done at all or they get done partially and it causes you to feel like a failure. So your high drive is actually what's limiting you from moving forward. And so these are very typical symptoms, the perfectionist failure, the self-doubt and insecurity, the brain fog, these chronic or perplexing health symptoms and, and being tired and wired. I can't say it enough that if you're experiencing those, you are not alone. It's actually incredibly common for high-achieving, driven, ambitious folks. This is the dark side of having yes. dreams and goals. <laughs> it's the dark underbelly, especially of, of working for yourself. I think there's such a, a vision out there that you're going to be happier, you're going to have more friends, like people are going to like you more, all these things. And then you go off and you do it and you're like, I'm not going to get out of fucking bed today. Like, this mm. sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is nothing... Or there are a few things in the world that give you an opportunity to feel as much as working for yourself does. And I think for a lot of us, that becomes the roadblock is there's just so much to feel. And because we live in such a busy world, distractions are rampant. It is really easy to Netflix binge or be yeah. arm, you know, like at the bottom of the Doritos bag or, you know, sex, drugs, all of it, right? Like there's these great outlets to not feel everything that we're feeling. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, I'm using the example of working for myself because that's what I can relate to, but I also think it's true climbing the corporate ladder, you know, and maybe even more true in some ways. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you're in an environment where everyone is ambitious, yeah. you're not the only ambitious one on the floor. And so there's a sense of underground competition, or sometimes with a lot of my clients, it's overt competition. Mm -hmm. There's an awareness that if I'm not at the top of my game, somebody else is going to come in behind me and scoop out this opportunity. Yeah. And I feel like not to do the woe is me type style thing, but probably particularly with women or people who identify as female in that there is seems to be a more of a limited opportunity. You know, there's one, one female board member or, you know, so it sometimes feels like there is even more competition between us. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting you said that because I think, yes, absolutely. And I think we want community the most. I agree, yeah. 100%. You know, this really interesting study came out of, I believe it was the University of Sims. They did a, a fascinating study with men and women and power and money. And just to see, like, is the motivation different behind it? And when they asked folks who identify as male the reason that they wanted power, the overarching results was to feel powerful, was to have more power. Like, God bless them. It was as clear as clear can be. Like, I want power to have power, power right? Say. Great. Mm. And when they asked women why they wanted power, the overarching answer was to help themselves or somebody else in their community. They wanted power and or money to be able to start a nonprofit or to send their kids to a different school or to take care of an aging parent. And so we watch how different demographics have a different relationship to power and, and in the workplace and how it can be quite isolating. We live in a traditionally male-dominated business world, right? So if we're talking about folks who have been driven in that, in that sense. So there's a sense of hierarchy and there is a sense of dominance and there is a sense of if I don't do this well, somebody else is gonna be the top dog and not me. And so regardless of what our gender identity is, that's the framework we're all living and working in right now. And, and there's wonderful positive shifts happening. And, I think having this kind of conversation is a big part of it. But women tend to rise traditionally through making connections. So rather than being hierarchical, being linear from top to bottom in nature, we go wide, we go broad, we go deep. 
In those research studies, women accumulate power by making connections within their community and being of service to other people. And so we can see how in and of itself, there's a craving, regardless of your identity, to be connected to other people. We do well when we support one another. And I also, I want to point out too that I, a lot of this is belief-oriented with my clients. There is a belief that if they're not working incredibly hard, that somebody else will come from behind and scoop the opportunity, or that they'll look like a failure, or that they'll be embarrassed. It's not factual. It might be factual, but it is definitely a belief. And I think that's something worth considering. It's this whole notion of you have to hustle harder. If you're not hustling 24-7, somebody else is, they're going to get the money. I'm so over the idea of hustle. <laughs> I'm and with I you. Work yeah. really hard, but the whole notion of you have to hustle is it's dead to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm tired. No, I'm with you. Well, I I'm think it's you. that it's that glorification of busy. Whoever yeah, coined that's that what phrase, not me, right? But yeah. somebody coined the whole like we've got to stop glorifying busy. Yeah. I think you're right on. I think that we have accidentally mistaken busy for productivity. And that's the mistake. And so my clients, everybody that I work with, we do the most radical thing I can think of, which is we become the most rested person in the room. And we check those beliefs. Like we, we ask questions of our beliefs. Like, is it true that if I go to sleep when I'm tired that I'm not going to do well? Like all evidence is actually pointed to the fact that I do better when I get good sleep. Right? Or I do better when I'm in community with other people. I do better when I stop going in alone. All evidence points to that. And so it takes... It takes two things to flip the switch on popular isolation. And the first, as I mentioned, is definitely courage. Right? It takes courage to do something that is different than the norm. Absolutely. Yeah. A little while ago, I was working towards a deadline and it was all hands on deck, you know, trying to get something over the line with, with a big team. And after we hit the deadline, I said to another colleague who, who happened to be a woman, you know what? From now on, because we were on, you know, on different kind of hemispheres, you know what? I'm going to um, just put a, a few boundaries in. If you wouldn't mind just not messaging me on Slack between 7 and 9 p.m. my time, that would re be really great now that we've kind of gotten through this deadline. And I remember she <laughs> flat out laughed at me. She was like, oh, I wish we could all do that. I was like, are you really shaming me for this? Well, that's the thing. We could all be doing that, I right? Know. Like, I, I, yeah. And I was mortified. But to your point, I think not that I was courageous in that time because I didn't expect that reaction. <laughs> but I think we kind of have to push past some of those reactions and kind of hold. To your point, Jenna, I think what I hear you, what you're describing to me is you you must have modeled something to this woman that she'd never seen before. Yeah. And I what we're so. talking about in this conversation is something that we have not seen modeled for us very often, right? To have what I call the big three. So a thriving career, deep loving relationships, and a really vibrant sense of health within your body. To have those three at the same time is not something that we have been able to consider at any point in history before this. So we haven't seen it modeled and there is no path out there. We are foraging the path together. Everybody listening to this is a pioneer in this movement. And so when you did that, to me, I'm thinking that might be the first time this person's ever seen that done. Yeah. And how powerful right. is that? Right. Regardless of the reaction, she now knows that it exists as a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. I think we, we need to stop putting our personal value on productivity equals our value. And I don't mm. think that that's true. You're spot on with the conversation that I've been having a lot 
as women have gotten more opportunity to be in the workforce and there's all sorts of money beliefs and sense of worth tied to value. I hear a lot of people out there teaching the idea of you've got to charge your value. You've got to know your value. And I would love for folks to understand that it's your value is immeasurable. It is priceless. We're talking about the value of your business or your work or your contribution to your family, but that is not your value. And I think that's a little bit of what you were leading into, Kelsey, and you tell me if I'm, I'm right or not. But there's actually a separation there that we're not charging our value. We can't charge our value. We're worth too much. Right? But we can charge the value of our services or the value of our of our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the notion that if you work a twelve hour day versus five hours extremely efficiently, you're not more valuable because you've worked for twelve hours. If you've gotten the same amount done, or you worked, I don't want to say worked smarter, but but you know what I mean. It's like I, I think we need to really shift our view on how we place value on our productivity. Absolutely. So for me, I've noticed that I have a law of diminishing return at about 25 hours a week. So when I work more than 25 hours a week, I start losing money. It happens pretty consistently. Now I can do it for a period of time or for a special event or a special project that I'm working on. What happens is I start to get cooked into the ground. I get brain fog. Revenue doesn't come in in the same way that it used to because I'm not paying attention the way I am when I'm sharp and I'm focused. Now that's for me. It's for a lot of people who are coaches who work in similar fields where we need to be very present with our clients. Yeah, I was going to say because York is so kind of based on empathy and like you're giving, giving, giving. So I think yours is like, that's especially true. But, But the invitation is what's yours, right? Like dare we all pause and figure out what works for us? Mm. Like, where do I seem to max out? Um, a good friend, Dave Israelo, who for a long time worked in finance here on Wall Street, and now he's a, as a chef and does all this yoga. And he talked about how he could work, like you said, Kelsey, really efficiently in a few hours a day and still do better than most of his coworkers. And there came a point where his boss, even in a highly you know, corporate, financially driven environment, said, you know what? Yeah, take three hours for lunch. Like it's working for you, like, right? And so just for all of us to consider, regardless of what the paradigm is, when am I actually most productive? When do I feel the most connected to other people? What do I need in order to fulfill on these goals? Mm. One of my mentors says, work smart, not hard. (laughs) It took me a long time to, I think, really like appreciate what he meant by that. But now I'm like, I'm so sold. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. And, And I love what you were saying before about setting that boundary with this colleague of yours. I don't know, Carly, maybe we could talk a little bit about how setting boundaries actually could combat popular isolation. You know, it it also sounds a little counterintuitive, but I, yeah. (laughs) I love talking about boundaries. Boundaries is my favorite (laughs) B word, (laughs) my favorite B word. Here's why. I have come to find that the creation of boundaries is, I always thought about boundaries in my mind as like a wall, like a brick wall. Like I need to put up a barrier between myself and this person, right? Let's use Sienna's example because it's so relatable. Somebody wants to talk to me all hours of the night and day about work and I'm just, I need to be unavailable for these, these two hours, right? What I've come to learn is boundaries are actually an opportunity to build a bridge, They're not so much a wall, they're a bridge. They're an opportunity for two parties to get back on the same page. The truth is there already is a wall in between you. That's why we need the boundary. There's something that's blocking communication. There's something that is allowing you to both be isolated, Mm -hmm. right? In your own world, having different expectations or whatever it is. And so the creation of boundaries is an opportunity for people to get back on the same page. And so what you were doing in your example, Sienna, was you were saying, I do my best work during different hours. Right. So so 
let's get the best possible work for you. Yeah. Right? In different words. To me, that's what you're putting out there. Yeah. So I probably should have framed it. <laughs> well, hindsight, right? We can all think of 20 ways better to say the thing we just said. Right? But that's what, that's what the invitation is. And so every time I, I make a boundary with folks, not in short public moments, you know, like the guy who's leaning too close in the subway, that's not, there's not going to be a conversation there, right? Like, but in a professional environment, it's always coming from a place of, I want us to be connected. I don't want us to be isolated. I don't want us to be working together and being on two different planets. So in the spirit of that, here's what I need. What do you think? Where are you at? How can we get you the best possible results? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, Boundaries absolutely. is a bridge. Yeah. 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 I'm also a big fan of boundaries. <laughs> No, it's a great way to frame the conversation, especially in a professional context. You were starting to talk about this idea of inauthenticity and how that creates a bit of an isolation. What do you mean by that? We're going to go way back then, Sienna. We're going to go way <laughs> back to the very beginning, right? So here's, in talking to all these really driven folks, right, or people who have dreams and goals, what I find is most of them have known from a very young age they're meant to do something special. They, it's like a whisper in their heart and they've never told anybody about it. Cause how do you say that? And not sound like a jerk. Like I'm here to, you know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. here to do something awesome in the world. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's quiet and it's kept, you know, within ourselves. I think, especially for folks who feel unempowered, depending on whatever their life circumstances are, it stays quiet. And so from a very young age, we're building in a lack of authenticity in order to be loved. Like that's what we're after. We want to be accepted by the people around us. And so to not sound like some bragging jerk, some narcissist who thinks that they're here to do something meaningful, we keep it quiet. And the truth is you are meant to do something. Like if you're hearing that voice or that inkling or that hunch that you are meant to have a fulfilling life or a career that loves you back, trust it. It's true. But what happens is we, we dumb that down, we numb it. And so from a very young age, we learn to question what we already know to be true. And we learn to self-isolate our thoughts and the things that are the most meaningful to us. So by the time we enter the workforce or the family force, or we, you know, we finished our schooling, we are masters at fitting in, right? Pretending to fit in. And what I find is that if folks don't consciously pause and consider the life that they want, we will unconsciously live somebody else's life. Mm. Oh my God, that's mm -hmm. so yeah. true. Yeah, taking that time to really reflect. It's just not something that we do or is really kind of accepted in this culture, especially in a place like New York City. I think. Oh yeah, forget it. In New York, it's we're all we're all messed up here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I imagine like that. It's so valuable. So that's one of the things that I notice with folks who are suffering from popular isolation is this deep craving for authenticity, this sense of folks know me as one thing. So if I change that up, if I actually speak up or say what I'm thinking or feeling, they're going to think I'm being, you know, a jerk or they're not going to understand what's going on for me or they're going to question me or for folks who have been putting the needs of others before themselves for a long time, they might not necessarily even know what they want, which is terrifying. I have a number of clients who come to me and say, I'm craving authenticity, but I don't even know what I want. Am I crazy? Yeah. Oh, God. So I don't even sure. know who I am anymore. Mm. Right. I don't even know. Or I've never known who I am. Right? I see this at the midlife crisis. I see this at the quarter life crisis point with 20 year olds who say, I've never known who I am. I'm already lost. Right? So it really runs the gamut of, of ages. So I, there is some deep craving for authenticity in folks who are experiencing popular isolation. I remember when I left my full-time job to go freelance, I had taken the job when I was 24 and I was about 29 going on 30 when I left. 
And all of my colleagues were a good 20 years older than me. Majority of them were male. And I remember just being like, I, I just, I feel like I'm a faker. Like I'm not who I am around these people. And I need to put myself into situations where I can feel more true to who I am. And, and that was such a, a big shift for me, I think, to lean into that more. So how did you do it? I'm turning the tables. Like, I want to know from you. Like, because that's it, right? A lot of people have that wondering of, I want something different. I want something that feels more true. How did you start to figure that out? I think I knew I was going to leave my job about a year before I finally did. But for me, the major shift was I didn't like who I was. Like, I, it was changing, like, my personality. I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I felt like I wasn't nice no, not nobody else would probably would recognize it in the way that I felt it internally but Let, I, let's just be clear <laughs> Kelsey could never not be nice so. but that's the problem that's what people think about me and it's not true and my sister will tell you otherwise <laughs> we call it Kelsitude there's yeah. a name for it there's a name for it in the Thane family very specific yeah. type of attitude um, and it's very cutting so be careful <laughs> no but that's but that's the thing it's like I internally was like this isn't if I stay in this position, I'm I'm really going to become somebody I don't want to become. And it was just a good time in my life where I could make that leap out. I don't think that, realistically, I don't think you can do that at every point in your life. But again, it took me a year also to be able to transition and make that happen. Yeah. Well, you're talking about that symptom, that snapping system, symptom is also really common in folks who are feeling isolated. So snapping meaning you find yourself snapping at your loved ones, your colleagues, your friends, and you feel terrible about it because you're not a jerk by nature. And so there's like you snap and then there's the follow-up backlash of guilt on top of it. For folks who have felt unempowered for a while, a lot of times the snap is internal. They snap at themselves. Their inner critic is really harsh. They become really aggressive in the tone that they talk to themselves. So to speak to the entrepreneurial folks out there, like if you work for yourself and your boss is a jerk, you might be isolated. Right? Like if you're working for yourself oh, and your shit. boss yeah, is a I jerk. Was like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Right? Like I feel like that. Like I would I you know, I've worked for myself for eleven years and I I would never talk to other people the way I talk to myself. I would never talk to another employee the way I talk to myself. I remember one of my VPs when I was leaving that company telling me, You will be the hardest boss that you've ever had and that you're gonna Yeah, you're gonna make things really mm -hmm. hard on yourself. And he was right. I mean I, you, yeah, we are our biggest critics. We are our hardest boss. And it's coming from, like if we rewind it, for most of us, it's coming from misguided sense of love. We want the best for ourselves. And we think that by admonishing ourselves, that will like crack the whip and then we'll work harder. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's just an opportunity to question whether or not that's true. What I'm finding in 2019 for most of the folks that I work with is that we don't thrive through punishment. We really thrive through nourishment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's different. Right? That's different than what we've been taught. So how can we learn to kind of get out of those bad, you know, negative self-talk habits and into kind of the nourishing self-nourishment? It really does come back to the pause. And I often say, um, there's a course I teach, we call it daring to pause, right? Like daring to pause. And in the beginning, it might be very little or like, this is where we need to put our technology or our post-it notes to use with a little message that says, did you breathe? 
this hour (laughs) like did you breathe when I'm doing really heady like at my computer kind of work I have a a, an alarm that goes off on my phone every 55 minutes that reminds me to walk for five minutes just to like around my house or go pee or go wash a dish or just something to physically get back into my body and pause for a moment so it it all starts with that and and it's funny because that was not what I was taught in coaching school and in business you know school that's not what we were taught because here's what I've noticed early on with my clients is we would do traditional goal setting. You know, they'd have a goal, I wanna lose 50 pounds, or I wanna land this job, or I wanna welcome love into my life again, or whatever the, the vision was they had. And it was nearly, it was like pushing a rock uphill, if not downright impossible, to live into a goal or dream, and we don't have space to breathe around it and think about it really clearly. And so it all starts with daring to pause. It all starts with daring to pause and then and ask a question of myself, you know, which is, in the face of this thing before me, in the face of feeling the sense of popular isolation, what do I need in order to show up for this differently? Right? So not just expecting ourselves to be able to set a goal and follow through, especially if you've set a lot of goals and then you've felt like you failed. You've set a goal and you're having a hard time following through. It's often around not considering, well, what do I need in order to follow through? It's really easy to put a pen on paper and make a to-do list, but to consider what do I need? Do I need to sleep well? Do I need a good meal? Do I need a weekend to myself? Do, what do, I, do I need to talk to somebody who inspires me? Do I need to listen to a podcast? Like, What do I need in order to show up for this thing? And that's only possible when we dare to pause. And that's, I just want to be really clear that that's a wild request to make of busy people, right? Like it is not normal to pause, but I also want to put out there that what we're seeking is not normal either. We're looking for an extraordinary life. And if you want an extraordinary life, you're going to have to do extraordinary stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're going to have to be the person who, who dares to carve out 30 seconds to breathe. I'm not talking about taking a sabbatical. Not everybody gets to have an eat, love, pray year, right? Like that's not <laughs> realistic for everybody. But I am talking about when you wash dishes, turning off the music and being there with yeah. your breath. Yeah. I am talking about, you know, while your coffee's brewing for those three minutes, closing your eyes, you know, and taking four breaths intentionally or whatever it is that helps you just create a small sense of space yeah. in the day. Yeah, Sienna and I have both talked a lot about how much meditation has has really oh, like time. changed our life. And if I spend just 10, 15, if I'm lucky, 20 minutes first thing in the morning, it's just a different day for me. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of successful people, almost every one of them has some form of meditative practice or this like taking time to just kind of sit and breathe and, and whatever. I think meditation is such like a a limiting term in certain ways or people see it that way they think it's like this very specific thing mm-hmm. and, and it can be just breathing while you wash dishes I always feel like that's the more advanced form because I'll be like yes okay well you know as this type a person I'm going to take my 10 minutes of meditation because that's what all the books says I should do <laughs> but then when it comes to making your coffee I'll listen to a podcast or I'll kind of right. intervene with all these extra stimuli instead of just being like okay and now I'll close my eyes so it's funny well, and, like that and the key to meditation really is to implement it into your everyday life mm-hmm. because we're not taking these years of or going on these three-month retreats I mean some people are and that's wonderful but most of us aren't so how can we like implement some of these same tactics into our everyday yes absolutely and i and i trust your audience enough to let them answer that question for themselves right that everyone is totally different so examples might be like i have a whole 
two hour routine that I do every morning. That's like my wow. sacred time. And it's That's during so awesome. my quote business hours. So nobody knows. My clients know that I work from 10 to three every day. What they don't know is that for the two hours before that, I'm journaling and I'm exercising and I'm breathing, I'm having a smoothie, I'm taking a shower. But that happened over the course of 11 years, right? Like that didn't happen the first day. It started by occasionally journaling sometimes, right? Or having a glass of water sometimes. And, it, and as I noticed that my revenue and my sanity increased, I began to learn that the most valuable part, the most productive part of my day was the part where I was, where I was taking space. Kelsey's husband, Matt, was here one day. I was going to speak at IBM about this concept of reclaiming time. I do a lot of teaching about reclaiming time. How do we even have the time to pause? And Matt's like, oh, you should tell the story about the lumberjack, which I'd never heard. And Matt tells a good story. He's got all sorts of stories in there. (laughs) So here's the story is this, right? Is there's a strong lumberjack in the in the woods and she's she's chopping down wood really quickly. And she's really big and strong and she's been doing this for a long time. And another lumberjack joins the team and comes in and like every 20 minutes she like walks away and disappears for 10 or 15 minutes, then would come back and then work for 20 minutes and leave. And like the the one who's like been working really hard, really diligently all day is getting increasingly pissed off. Like what's the deal with this new person? And at the end of the day, they're gonna weigh all the wood. They get paid per log and they go to weigh the wood and and the the strong big woman can't wait to see, you know, the look on the other woman's face because she's clearly chopped more wood. And it turns out that the smaller woman who kept disappearing had chopped more wood. And she's like, all right, what's the deal? Like, (laughs) how do you do that? This. And she said, well, I, I leave to sharpen my blade. Like, you're telling me you don't sharpen your blade all day? Like, what are you doing, right? I love that. Yeah. I love so poignant. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, there it is. And that's what we're talking about. Like, I'm going to go sharpen my blade. This is the most productive thing I can be doing. So I think for anybody listening, when you need to take a beat, I hope that they hear in their head, I'm, I'm going to go sharpen my brain or go sharpen, <laughs> go sharpen my brain, which would also be fitting, but go sharpen my blade. And think of it in that term that taking this moment is going to make me more efficient, is going to make me a stronger worker right now. Absolutely. Well said. And it gives us the breathing room that we need in order to catalyze new ideas. And there's a lot of science behind this, and I could talk about that forever. But when our parasympathetic nervous system, the part of our brain that's in charge of our stress response is activated, we physically begin to see less. Like physically, I'm not being metaphorical. Like our peripheral vision narrows and we see less opportunity before us. And so we get into a scarcity mindset and that's when the hustle really sets in and the sense of I need to do this all myself or else it won't get done, which is the shortcut to popular isolation. So when we start to build in those pauses, we allow our... I'm sorry, our parasympathetic nervous system is in charge of relaxation. We allow that part of the brain to kick in and we will begin to see clearer, faster ways of getting work done. We will begin to come up with solutions quicker. We'll have sharpened our blade. And so that's where the conversation starts is owning. If you feel isolated, that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, owning that you're feeling isolated and then daring to pause and consider where can I feel more sense of connection? What can I do about that? And contact us. I want to hear, you know, ways in which you're feeling isolated and and any tips or tricks that you're finding that are helping you to kind of break out of that feeling. Mm-hmm. So Carly, where can we find you? Come on over to carlyfain.com. <laughs> we actually just transferred my website. And there's always free resources on there for, for driven folks. My new course... Well, it's new to online. It's been working on it for years with hundreds of folks around the world. Reclaiming Time is going to be available. And 
at home and <laughs> your own pace. You can start to practice the art of, of what driven people who have time abundance do so that your world doesn't need to fall apart. It doesn't need to be all or nothing. You know, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to a lot of podcasts and you read a lot of books and you're doing a lot of things and there's a lot of information out there. And if you're not craving information, if you're craving transformation, I would love to be, yeah, in that conversation. So carlyfain.com or I'm on Instagram. And as far as I know, I'm the only person in the world with my name. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So Crazy. it's Carly, K-A-R-L-E-E-F-A-I-N. Just put that in. And for better or worse, you'll find me. <laughs> I, I've Googled Kelsey Fain a couple times. And um, <laughs> there is a woman whose mugshots often come up. And I just, oh, just really? like, live for it. Yes. <laughs> hey. <laughs> But Carly, thank you so much. I think, I don't know, I got a lot out of this oh conversation. Oh my God, no, I'm yeah. just sitting here nodding my head profusely the whole time because <laughs> I'm just eating it all up. Thank you so much. And I have done one of Carly's courses before and she is life-changing, so highly recommend. Thank you. Thank you so much and for everybody for this conversation. Meaningful. We hope you enjoyed this episode. How lucky are we that we get to chat to these mega-talented folks? I think we're pretty fucking lucky. <laughs> Hell yes. So if you happen to like it too, share it with your mates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. And don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. We would love to hear from you. What did you think of today's episode? What else do you want to talk about? Yeah, what kind of conversations are you having? Or maybe what conversations aren't you having? Yeah, good point. Anyway, until next time. Bye.